you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Garner, and today uh, we are recording this episode from a bit of a wet Sydney uh, in isolation due to COVID-19. In my house, there are five of us, uh, two teenagers, one 12-year-old, Myself, my husband, two cats, a dog, and a lizard called Alice. I'm not quite sure um, for those of you that are listening how long uh, you may have been in isolation. I think I worked it out this morning. It's already been about seven weeks here in Sydney. Um, I'm hoping you are all keeping safe, keeping sane and really looking after yourselves. And I I wish you all the health and safety that I can send to you. It's an absolute joy to welcome those of you that have already listened to this podcast back. And it's wonderful to welcome some of our new listeners. Um, Today, we have an awesome guest. Um, This guest, Gabrielle Dolan, uh, is a very good friend of mine. Uh, We actually run many training programs together. Uh, We have spoken on the same Uh, stages around the world and uh, she is an absolute genius and is passionate about the power of storytelling to unleash your brilliance. In this podcast she will share how to share stories um, so that you can connect more and engage more. She talks about the power of storytelling for those of us or for those of you listening that may be going through significant change Um, either in yourself or within your organizations. And she talks about, she shares the structure of a story and what makes a great story versus a not so good story. So Raoul or Gabrielle Darling can certainly tell you a story or two. Um, She will share on this podcast where it all started for her and, uh, and how she found her calling as a global thought leader on business storytelling and authentic leadership. As I said, she travels the world uh, pre-COVID, speaking, educating, and she is the author of multiple books, uh, works with high-profile leaders for organizations such as Telstra, EY, Accenture, Visa, uh, Vodafone, and last year had the pleasure of being asked to come and present at the Obama Foundation on the power of storytelling. So without further ado, please uh, sit back um, or just focus for half an hour from whatever you're doing and enjoy my latest episode with the amazing Gabrielle Dolan. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome today my very good friend and expert in the area of storytelling, the fabulous Gabrielle Dolan. Welcome, Gabrielle. Wow, thank you, Janine. So good to be here. 
It's great. And I have to say, just the sound of wherever you're at, it sounds incredibly peaceful and calm. Where are you calling in from today? Yes, you can probably hear the bellbirds in the background. We have a property at Bermagui, which is in the southern New South Wales coast. So for all your listeners, that was heavily hit by bushfires in January. But we, um, my husband's been volunteering building fences up here after the bushfires. And so about six weeks ago, uh, when realised that we'd all be in isolation, we all decided to move up here to be as a family. So we are spending our time up on a 25-acre property surrounded by bellbirds and kangaroos and wallabies, um, which, is, which is very relaxing. Oh, beautiful. You know what? I discovered this week a Facebook page called The View From My Window. Um, You should actually get on there and post a picture. It is so inspiring seeing these photos of people from around the world sharing the views out of their window, you know, whether they be in cities, uh, nurses that have left families and are living in unit blocks, um, or, you know, people that have these incredible views of the Alps. It's so beautiful. I reckon you need to get on there and post one of your views. I will. (laughs) So, Ron, let's go. Let's go right back before we um, get to the work that you do now and how you help individuals and leaders unlock their own brilliance through storytelling. And um, what what was it like for you growing up? Where did you grow up, and what was it like for you growing up? Um, I grew up. Uh, I'm, I'm one of eight children, and I'm um, yeah, I'm the sixth. So my uh, like most uh, oldest three siblings all sort of left home relatively young, so, you know, 18, 20, 21. So most of my childhood it was really just growing up in a family of five and so that made me the middle child, I guess. But, yeah, one of eight and grew up in uh, a suburb called Reservoir and then we moved to Greensboro. So, you know, Dad, Dad worked you know, working class family. Mum obviously didn't work looking after eight kids. Dad worked two or three jobs to keep everyone, keep the money coming in. Um, but yeah, we had a, we had a, had a great childhood. And when, did, can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? I always wanted to be a graphic designer, would you believe? So wow. I, um, I just liked the whole idea of creating, you know, logos and you know, stuff like that. Um, And so, but I didn't actually get the marks I needed to, to get into university when I, when I left school. So um, I didn't, I I didn't really want to then go and do just any uni degree. So I actually just went straight into the workforce. And one of the subjects I had uh, studied at school was computer science, which was the first year they actually introduced it as a, a subject. So this is going back in like nine, you know, early 80s computer science. So I actually got a job as a trainee computer operator, which was a brand new, I guess, industry way back in the uh, early 80s. And what industry were you in? Where did, where did you start working? Was, so, it, was it banking? Yeah, not banking. My first job was as a trainee computer operator with the Australian Wool Testing Authority of right. all places. I learned more about wool than uh, you would ever need to know about wool. 
Um, and then I was there for I was there until I was about twenty one, and then I moved. I got a job at National Australia Bank again as a um, computer operator. So stayed in technology for probably about the first ten years of my career, and then then I sort of realised it wasn't really doing it for me. And what was doing it for me was getting involved in a lot of the training and development for the technology people. So I moved out of. I still stayed in technology, but I moved out of computer operating and then moved into roles around, you know, creating leadership programs for the technology people, um, making sure they, you know, got their professional development, not only in technology stuff, but, you know, in, you know, I guess what you call the soft skills. And then from then moved on to, you know, some project management and change management roles and, and was at NAB for about 17 years. And... When did you first start realising how either powerful stories were or that you particularly had had this gift around storytelling? Um, well, I, I guess I started to realise how powerful stories were in, you know, probably the last three or four years at NAB. I, you know, I had a couple of leadership roles myself and I realised that, um, you know, when you shared stories, people sort of connected and engaged more. But it was probably in my um, change management role. So, you, you know, you're trying to lead a change across the entire organisation and get your message across. And what I started to notice that if you did it via a story, it seemed to have greater cut through, like people actually sort of remembered your message above others. And and I guess then I really started to notice that the really great, inspiring leaders were sharing stories. Um, I'd go, you'd go to a conference and you'd, you know, a two-day conference and you'd see speaker after speaker and the brilliant speakers, you'd walk away going, they were a brilliant speaker. And I realised they were brilliant because they were sharing stories. So, that, that was almost like, I don't know, about 18 years ago I started to notice this and so I just started to look more into storytelling. Um, storytelling in organisations wasn't really a thing but, I you know, a few people had written books about it from, you know, Stephen Denning and Annette Simmons. I'd read their books in like 2004, 2005 and I just sort of made a decision that um, I think this is a skill that you could teach people and uh, I thought, no one else is doing it, so why don't I do it? So that's what I did. I left NAB about over 15 years ago and just started teaching people how to tell stories better. Um, and, you know, I guess over 15 years now I sort of figure out I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I suppose that, that comment about teaching people how to tell stories better, um, I mean, isn't a story just a story? Is there really um, a better way of telling stories than a not so good way yeah look I, I sort of go um if storytelling was easy to do in business we would all be doing it and we'd all be doing it well and we absolutely know that's not the case so when I run my training workshops you know they're normally half day or a full day depending on what the client wants it's not only teaching them, it's teaching them the proper framework. So, you know, so they're avoiding all those common mistakes people make with storytelling, like, you know, going too long or starting their story with, let me tell you a story or ending their story with, so the moral of the story is, or, you know, that's shocking way to start and end your stories. Um, a lot of the training too, though, is the some of the most beautiful comments I get after my workshops uh, from senior leaders who say to me, I just never, ever thought of sharing a story before in business. 
And almost some of them are saying, I never thought we were allowed to, which sort of means they're thinking it's not professional and they're thinking it doesn't work. So what I love about my training is I show people how powerful they are, but I almost give them the permission to use stories and then the actual capability and therefore confidence to do it well because um, I, I was talking to someone the other day on a webinar and she said, you know, I shared a story once and um, it was a personal story and I got ridiculed for it and and she goes, so I don't think I'd ever do it again. And that that really saddens me because I can guarantee you it probably was a good story but she probably, without training, um, it's not delivered in a way and it's not um, constructed in a way that's effective. So that's what really saddens me when people try to do it with, without being taught how um, and it doesn't work and therefore they don't do it again. So I'm trying to eliminate that. And so for those people that are listening that are now starting to get a bit curious as to, you know, what makes a good story, um, what sort of things would you share with them that make a good story um, or a good storyteller versus a bad story and a bad storyteller? Yeah, I think what makes a good story is the first thing you've got to start is you've got to be really clear on your message. So a lot of the times I say to people, Look, don't worry about the story yet. What are you trying to achieve? Like what message are you trying to get across? What, are you, what action are you trying to um, influence? And they're not really sure. And if you're not really sure on the message, then, you know, your story is not going to work. So the first is be really, really clear on your message and one single message per story. Then, then it's a process of finding the most appropriate story. Now, our default with storytelling is that we come up with a work-related story, but and it sort of ends up being a case study. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. They, they, those those work-related stories can provide some information on, you know, what's worked before. But the real, um, where it gets really effective is when you can share a personal story. So a story about you growing up, a story about your kids, you know, a story about something from your personal life and connect that to your business message. And that's, that's where the real skill is, how you find the most appropriate story and then connect it so you get your message across because you don't, you know, a bad story is when you just share a story and people are walking away going, you know, what the hell was that about or, you know, it just didn't make sense. So I think that's what makes a good story. They're really succinct. Um, you know, we're talking one to two minutes in a business setting, not four or five minutes because after I think about three minutes, people will be thinking just get to the point. So there's a real discipline in making sure you can get your story across in a really succinct time. And I think the great storytellers, the great storytellers are the ones that embrace vulnerability. So they're sharing stories about um, lessons they've learned. They're sharing stories of when things haven't gone right. They're sharing stories about when they have not done the right thing. Um, stories about when, you're, when you've done the right thing all the time and you've done all these great things can come across as bragging and righteous. And so I think the people that embrace vulnerability um, are the better storytellers. And is there is there a story that you've heard over the eighteen years that that you that has stayed with you that resonates with you that you could share as as an example of a great story? Yeah, I'll, I'll share one. I mean, there's there's a there's a lot, but one one I um, 
I often share because I just like the simplicity of it and how effective it was for the person. Um, I did I did some work with um, a risk team, so the entire risk team and uh, the head of risk. Her name her name was Rosemary actually, and she she said that the biggest issue she has in business is that when she's trying to communicate the role of a risk manager, every time she talks about risk, the business units would always say to her, "Well, you're the risk manager. That's your job." she was constantly trying to get them through to them that they have to manage their risk, that as the risk manager, all she can do is, you know, give them the, the, the advice, the information, the skills to manage their own risk. But ultimately, they've got to manage their risk. And she said that that wasn't getting through. So this this is the story she started to share. And um, I'll, I'll just flip the first person to share this because it's a bit more effective. She said, when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm and growing up on a farm, there was all these dangers we needed to be aware of, but mum would teach us what to do. So we knew what to do if we ever came across a spider in the timber heap. We knew about all the potential traps in the dam after heavy rain and we knew what to do if we ever came across a snake in summer. And I remember this really hot day, mum was yelling at me to get my bike from the front gate. So I ran down the path and then I just froze because in front of my bike was this massive copperhead snake. But I remembered everything mum taught us to do. So I played statues and then I slowly walked backwards until there was enough space between me and the snake and I ran back to the house to tell mum. And I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of the role we play in risk. All I can do is give you the skills, knowledge and advice so when you come across your own copperhead snake, regardless of what that looks like, you will know what to do. And Rosemary told me that when she started sharing that story, it helped her get her message across because, you know, for your listeners, I would ask you three questions of that. Does that help you understand the role of a risk manager and the, and the role you play in risk? Would you remember that story and would you be able to retell it without losing its meaning? And fundamentally, if you're in a position of leading or communicating or influencing, some of your challenges are, do people really understand what you're saying? Can they remember it when the meeting's over, the presentation's finished? And can they actually retell it to other people? And a personal story will give you traction on those three things where, you know, facts, figures, logic is a bit hard to do. Mm, it's so powerful and as you were just debriefing that I've absolutely got the picture of the copperhead snake in my head and um, yeah I reckon I could I could tell that story even though I haven't lived and, and breathed it breathed it myself so if you were to sort of just break that down without giving away all your genius what are what are the key elements of the story look there's there's simple things like you got to have a, you know, we, we come back to Aristotle. It was Aristotle that first said a story needs a beginning, middle and end. So, it, you know, that's fundamentally what a story has to do. Mm. It's got to have a specific event. So too often in business we talk in generalities, we talk at high level or hypotheticals, but it has to have like something has to have happened to someone. Um, it, as you would have noticed, that was really succinct. So um, I don't know exactly how long that was. It probably changes every time I tell it, but it would be well and truly under two minutes. So it's got to have a beginning. Um, and you could normally start your beginning with time and place. You don't want to start your. You don't want to start a story with "Let me tell you a story," um, mm. and and so be really succinct. Just use real words, like you know, 
give enough information that people can visualise what you're saying. Um, don't use a lot of corporate jargon or acronyms in your story and just end on a process where it actually helps people understand it, not not saying, you know, so you know you, how you don't want to end a story like that is so the moral of the story is you need to manage your own risks. You don't want to be telling people. You, you want to end in a really respectful way to allow them to get their message. So as you as you said earlier on in this piece, you know, you've been working in this space for what was it 18 years. Um how why why is it so important particularly now for leaders um you know what are the biggest challenges that they're facing and and as part of unlocking and unleashing their leadership brilliance, you know, why is storytelling so important? Look at it's, I've been talking for a few years now about why it's needed more than ever. I think, that, you know, and, you know, five years ago, as I was saying, the new generation, but, you know, the, the new generation of employees is pretty much anyone 40 and below, which is the vast majority of your employee base. They People want to be connected and engaged. They don't just want to be told what to do. So storytelling is a really powerful way to connect and engage with people. Um, we, are, we have got so much information. I mean, you know, the concept of information overload uh, it has been around for 15 years and it's, it's not getting any better. We have got so much information. So being able to cut through all that noise and get your message heard understood and remembered is critical and I mean you know right at the time now when we're all working from home home due to coronavirus everyone's talking about you know we need to communicate with our people we need to actually connect and again storytelling is so more important now when we're all working remotely because it's a powerful way to connect There's, there's a whole heap of research that shows when when as humans, as we hear stories, our brain goes, it, it, they call it, it synchronizes and our brain goes into this where we, we feel a connection with the story and a connection with the storyteller. So, um, you know, there, there's a whole heap of science behind this, um, but we just know it works. I mean, you just, you can experience it yourself when someone shares you a story and shares you a personal story, you, you have a stronger connection with that person. And is, are there any industries that are immune to this? So, you know, there may be some people listening going, yeah, yeah, I get it, storytelling with mum type of thing, but my industry, there's no way we could tell a story. You know, we're very serious or we're all about, you know, serious policy and decision-making. Have you heard that that type of commentary and what would be your comment back? Yeah, look, 15 years ago that was a lot of people saying this. I see it less and less, but I do still have some people saying, um, you know, maybe in finance, for example, where we're all about the numbers so we don't need stories. And I would go, you actually need stories more than anyone because how do you bring those numbers to life? the I, the technologies, the IT industry, when they're talking about a lot of stuff that people can't grasp, again, you need stories to help them um, make sense. So storytelling is a real, it's a, a sense making tool. But the reality is, as humans, we are not only hardwired to tell stories, we're hardwired to listen to stories. It's how our brain makes sense of information. So I would say, that unless, as well, as long as your audience is human, they will respond to stories. Now, 
when I say that in my workshops, I get a few jokes about, you know, the board or the CEOs aren't human. But if they are human, they will respond to stories. Yeah, that's cool. So who's who's been the biggest influence in your your life, Raul? Oh, look, I think it's it's hard to point one person. You know that they're saying that you you, know, you become the the equal or the of the five people you spend time with. I mean, you know, I, you can't go past your parents who have influenced you. My both my parents, um, you know, they would have been feminist before the word was even feminist. We, you know, like we said, one of eight kids. Mum and dad didn't discriminate what they taught us based on our sex. So, or gender, I, you know, we'd all be in the kitchen helping mum cook. We'd all be outside helping dad, you know, change tyres and paint. And I went around as 14, I went around with my dad. He was a, um, a painter and I went around painting with him on jobs. So I think they're, they're a great influence. And probably the, the biggest influence they had on me is dad was an inventor. So dad would always be inventing stuff way before it even came about and always thinking, he'd always be thinking of different ways to do things. So I think I got that from dad and, and from mum, she was just persistent. So if it didn't work, she would just go, well, we'll try it again, do, do something different. Um, I remember the very first job I applied for at the Australian Wool Testing Authority that I talked about. I um, I applied for the job, and then I saw it advertised the following week. and I And I said to Mum, I obviously didn't get the job, and she said, Well, obviously no one else got the job either. So why don't you apply again and write a different letter? So I did. I I just applied again, writing a stronger letter. Um, and then got got an interview, um, and they said, Why did you? your your letter was a lot stronger the second time and I said because I know I want this job and I know I can do it and I was offered the job on the spot so I think both my parents gave me the thing of try something different and and if it doesn't work keep going but try something different again I love that and I knowing you as well as I do I can see those traits playing out in how you work and how you operate and um, how much you encourage other people to do that too. What what have you learned about yourself during both your corporate career, that transition into training, uh, now a thought leader in the, the storytelling space and author of multiple books and you know, pre-COVID traveling and speaking to audiences, what have you learned about yourself over the years? Um, well, I learned I can write books, which is quite astounding considering I failed English in my final year of school. Um, but, you know, you surround yourself with good editors. I, look, I think what I've learned is um, I, I think I remember someone telling me once while I was at NAB that I had the ability to take really complex information and simplify it. Like when someone would be talking about something, I could go, so what you're really saying is this, and I could simplify it. So I think someone pointed out to me that that was a skill of mine, and I think I've come to realise that I that is, and so I can develop my complex ideas. I mean, even the concept of storytelling, like when I teach people, they go, it's, it's such a simple framework. And yes, it's a simple framework, but it's a really complex situation and being able to make it simple. So I, th- I think I've realized I, I can do that well, which then I'm assuming that's made my um, ideas and my thoughts and my teachings a lot more relevant to a wider variety of people who who can actually understand it and therefore get a lot of value out of it. So, um, 
that's probably something I've learnt and enjoyed honing my skill in on that. And, you know, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. What does, what does that mean to you? What it means to me, in, and, and probably something else I've learned too about myself, is I can see brilliance in other people. I, some people could be talking to me and I can just see what they could achieve. So, you know, I guess in one way I try to help them see that. Um, not, not everyone will step into it for a whole lot of reasons, but I think unleashing brilliance to me is being aware of what you could achieve and having the courage to do it. Um, and and I, I just I think most people don't do that. Um, and, it, and, you know, it's some people don't realise what they could achieve and therefore don't do it. I think what's sad is when they realise that they could, that, that there is this brilliance in them um, and they don't have the courage to do it. And, you know, you talk about brilliance. Um, I often use the word genius, that we all have it inside us. We all have a genius inside us. We all have a brilliance inside us, whatever that is, just having the courage to bring it out. And, you know, even if it's serving the people around you, um, that, that to me what is unleashing brilliance is, I guess, you know, a cliche response is to be the best version of yourself. But to me it's more than that is to, to me it's identifying what value you could bring to the people around you and having the courage to get out of your own way and do that. Mm. And and that's that's not always easy, is it? I no. mean, um, you know, people listening go, will be going, I get that, but how? I mean, I'm constantly getting asked, how do I do it? And it's it's one of those questions that has multiple faceted answers to it. What what do you, and I'm sure that you getting to where you are at now hasn't all been unicorns and rainbows, that there are times where you've had to dig deep or there's times where things haven't quite worked, but yeah. you've had this ongoing commitment and passion for what you do. Can you remember one of those particular times and what you did to, to get to the other side of it? I, I can remember a time where um, the... I guess the enormity of what I was doing sunk in and it, and it was probably about six years ago when um, my husband had a corporate job. So when I left NAB, you know, he had a corporate role at AMP and he fully supported me to go off and, you know, find my own adventure. And about six years ago he got sick of corporate life and, um, you know, after a while, like, you know, maybe about a year he decided to leave his corporate role. Um, at the same time, I was hiring uh, an executive manager, and um, I offered the job to my my friend Elise, who who decided to take it, but had to quit her career as a primary school teacher. She actually taught my kids, and this happened at this almost in the same week that Steve had left his corporate job. And Elise had left her job to come and work for me. And I remember going to the accountant. And it was this realisation that I had this responsibility of not only being this, I guess, the sole breadwinner in our family, but the the responsibility to make this a success because there were so many people now relying on me. Um, And I remember feeling physically sick and then... uh, then just uh, yeah, you speak you speak to as you would know with your you know your key people you speak to people around you that give you a little bit of hit across the head and go well you know of course you can do it 
and stop feeling sorry for yourself, which I was, and got on and did it. But I, I distinctly remember that, and I think because it was such a physical physical reaction I had to, I've got to make this work. Mm, mm. And um, what keeps you going now? What What is the, the, the passion? What is it that drives you, Raoul? What drives me? I mean, I, I truly do love what I do. I, uh, my perfect week would be speaking in front of people where they walk away going, oh, my God, that was amazing. I never thought of using storytelling, training them, giving them the skills. So I absolutely love what I do. Um, quite a few years ago I sort of drew a line in the sand to have take control of work-life balance so I have a really integrated, you know, where I don't work school holidays. Um, I don't madly fill up my time where I'm doing running workshops five days a week. So that gives you a lot of um, flexibility and opportunity to do some amazing stuff. So I just love what I do. The, I love I love the work-life balance of it. I love the, um, the job itself. But I, I love the opportunities that come my way because of this, opportunities that I never, ever would have thought would happen. I mean, you know, just even travelling around the world speaking you know, doing opening keynote speaks at conferences in, you know, Washington and just stuff like that is just amazing. Um, last week, I, oh, not last week, the end of last year, I was running training for the Obama Foundation and, and got to meet um, the big man himself, Barack Obama, and just stuff like that. You just pinch yourself that, um, you know, from someone who started as a mainframe computer operator at the Australian Bull Testing Authority... <laughs> Uh, is doing this type of stuff, it's pretty cool. Well, there's absolutely no doubt that you've found a way to unleash your own genius in your own words. And uh, I am forever grateful for all the lessons you've taught me over the time that we've known each other and uh, and will continue to know each other. You're an absolute part of uh, my inner circle for those of that are listening that understand, you know, my passion piece around connection. Uh, Ral is a critical part of my world. And um, also um, the fact that you are so willingly and with humility sharing everything you know that you've learned and this framework um, really for the purposes of helping other people step into uh, their own brilliance, um, their own genius and have the impact that they, they want to make. Um, my, final, my final question, um, you know, we're often asked what next, what are we doing? It's all about growth, um, although that's quite a challenging, challenging question in itself right now. Um, but more importantly, what, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, God. Did you give me pre-warning for this question? Did I, did I? <laughs> no pre-warning. <laughs> no. Okay. Right. There you go. Um, I mean, I think I would be, you know, I think what I'd like to be remembered for is um, being generous with my time and advice and, and that type of stuff. I mean, you know, clearly with my books it might be around storytelling. Um but, yeah, being remembered for being – or being real. I think being remembered for being real, just, you know, it is sort of what you what you get is what you – what you see is what you get. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely are real. Ral, it's been an absolute pleasure. I have no doubt uh, you've inspired many to start 
trying to uncover the stories that they have around them and and use them in work. What what is the best way that people can find out more about you? Look, it's probably best to go to the website, so gabrieldolan.com, and there's a couple of things. If you're really interested in storytelling, simply subscribe. There's a there's a thing that says seven-day storytelling starter kit, and that's that's a little video you'll get from me once a day for seven days, and it really is a good way to start you thinking about how potentially you could use stories. You know, there's a whole heap of really cool free resources on there. Obviously, you could buy my books um, if you've if you've got a team that you want to teach storytelling, then obviously I'm more than available to have a chat to you about that. So yeah, but the website's the best place to go. Excellent. Thanks so much, Roel. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the show and wonderful to have the background noise of the bellbird singing. Yes. Thanks, Janine. Love to have chatting with you. Take care. You too. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Janine Garner Show. Follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more. Visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.